So this morning, we're looking at Mark 7, uh, verses 24 through 30. You'll find the words on the screen behind me, uh, on the screen in front of you. Uh, and if you've got them with you, you can follow along uh, if you'd like to that way too. So Mark 7, uh, 24 through 30. Before we read, let's pray together. Lord, as we quiet ourselves, we, we ask that you would prepare us, that you would make us ready to, to hear a word from you as we open up uh, this book that you've given us. Um, come Holy Spirit upon us, we pray. Help us to uh, hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark 7, starting in verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he said. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. We will go that far. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a strange little story. Isn't it? Like, that's a weird, strange story. Um, I preached on Matthew's version of this story two, three, four years ago, I don't remember. Um, and so that kind of gave one angle onto this story because it's hard to understand what Jesus is talking about here, right? It's not right to take the children's, do- children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So over the centuries, there have been all sorts of different ways to interpret this, to look at it, to understand it, because it's kind of weird and, and kind of confusing. So I gave us one angle. I don't remember when I preached on it last, but here's a different angle. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. First, whenever we enter into a, a story like this one that's a part of a larger narrative, it's important for us to, to remember where are we in this narrative, in Mark's telling of the Jesus story? Because he's not just telling stories willy-nilly. He's taking us from one place and he's bringing us to another. He's trying to fill out this reality of Jesus and his teaching. So I want to talk just a little bit briefly about some of the things that happened in Mark's telling of the Jesus story as we come up to this story. First, he's already gathered his like inner circle of leaders. They've been following him around for a while now. He calls them disciples. We can think of that word as learners. So they're learning. They've been following him around for a while now, trying to learn how to see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. They're trying to learn how to, how to sort of think about the divine as Jesus reveals who God is uh, to them. 
So he's taught them some really cool things. He's taught them about this reality that he's calling the kingdom of God, the reign of God's God. God's rule, God's presence, God's action in this world is way closer than any of us, more intimate than any of us had ever dreamed possible. He says this reality of the kingdom of God, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a mustard seed, he said, which is like the, the smallest of your seeds. And yet when this seed is planted into the ground, it grows and becomes the largest of your garden plants. And it gives, it gives shade, it gives protection, it gives shelter, it gives grace to the birds of the air. Jesus says the kingdom of God, well, it's, it's kind of like that. And he hasn't just taught them some really amazing things. He's actually done some crazy amazing things. He's healed people. He's cast out demons. He's brought this little girl from death back to life again. He's calmed a storm. He's walked on water. He's fed with just a tiny little sack lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish. He's fed like 10 to 15,000 people. It's insane. That's enough people to fill Hilton Coliseum five loaves of bread and two fish. Just before the story that we read this morning, he's confronted the religious establishment, the Pharisees, who have sort of reduced this this life with God from a life-giving, heart-transforming relationship with God to just simply following a bunch of rules and regulations, trying to do the right things so that we can get God to do what we want God to do for us. Then we get to this story. And again, it's a strange, weird, sort of awkward little story. So here we have Jesus, and he does this from time to time. He just kind of wants to get away from it all. By this time, he's attracted sort of a large crowd, a large following. They've been following him around as he makes his way in and around Galilee, right? So he wants to get away. He needs to recharge. He even wants to get away from his disciples, his closest inner circle. So here's what he does. He leaves them all behind intentionally, and he goes into an area of the country that's not Jewish. It's Gentile. We know that Gentile means it's just any person that's not Jewish. So it's a Gentile area. So here we have Jesus, and I love this. He crosses a border. He's always doing this. He's always crossing borders. We set up these borders, these barriers that separate ourselves from other people. What's Jesus do? He crosses literally all of them. So here we have another instance where Jesus is going into a place he's not supposed to go. He's going going there because he's going to rub shoulders with people who don't think like him, who don't believe the same things about like him, who don't believe the same things about God as he does. He's going to rub shoulders with people like that. People most good Jews wouldn't would would do their best to avoid. So he enters into a house and he tries his very best to keep his presence a secret, but it doesn't work. Come on, Jesus. By now you should know you can't keep your presence a secret. Like there's just something about you that's attracting crowds. Good luck, dude. So it doesn't work. So Mark tells us that a woman whose little daughter is possessed by a demon, finds out where he is. She comes to find him. She falls on her face at his feet and begs him to heal her little daughter. 
And then Jesus says something odd. Here's the odd thing. We'll get into it a little bit deeper later. First, let the children eat all they want, he said. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So he's making reference that he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the Christ, the Savior. For the Jews, over and above the Gentiles, he essentially calls her a dog. What's up with that? And then she replies with something that's absolutely extraordinary. She says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And it seems in the story, it's like Jesus is like, whoa, you just blew my mind. You're totally right. For such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So the woman then goes home, finds that her daughter has her life back. She goes home and finds out that her daughter, who previously had no future, now has a future. Right? Such an interesting little story. Now, what I want to do for the rest of the time is sort of focus in on, on the woman. I want us to notice I want us to notice how she approaches God or how she approaches Jesus. And I want, to see, I want us to see how her honesty and her humility sort of open her up to make this leap of faith. She makes this extraordinary leap of faith here that allows her then to receive healing, to receive grace, to receive mercy. Let me say that again. I want us to notice how her honesty and her humility sort of opens her up to make this leap of faith that allows her to receive grace, to receive healing, to receive mercy. First, let's talk about this honesty thing. She approaches Jesus with complete honesty. Like, she's not trying to hide who she is here. She comes openly and honestly. Mark is very careful in making sure that we know exactly who this woman is and where she's come from. He's not wasting words here. He's communicating something to us. He's saying, this woman was a Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia. So right at the top of the story, we recognize now that this woman has at least three things, probably more things, totally against her. Right? First, she's a woman, and no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would ever associate with a woman in public. Just would not happen. She knows this, and yet she comes. She approaches. She's honest about it. She doesn't send a mail to him to ask for this thing to be done for her daughter. No, she goes. The second thing she's got going against her is she is a foreigner. Again, someone no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would ever associate with in public. Wouldn't happen. She knows this, and yet she comes openly, honestly, not hiding who she is. The last thing is she has a daughter who's in desperate need of healing. So she doesn't hide anything. She's out with everything. She approaches Jesus openly and honestly. So why does Mark tell us this story? I think Mark is trying to tell us 
that when we approach God, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to, we don't have to hide who we are. For that matter, when we walk in these doors, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be or become someone we're not. We don't have to like pretend like we've got it all together, like we're some super smart moral people here. We don't have to do that. We don't have to pretend like we've got it all together. We, we can come openly and honestly acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging all of those places in our lives where we've made a mess of things and we continue to make a mess of things. We come here openly, honestly. We don't have to hide. We don't have to become someone we're not. Think about Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, they get some really good things right. When you go to an AA meeting, the first requirement is that you acknowledge your brokenness. If I were to go into an AA meeting, I would have to say, hi, my name is Aaron. I'm an alcoholic. It's not, hi, my name is Aaron. I'm an alcoholic because my daddy was an alcoholic and he passed it on to me. Or I'm an alcoholic because I lost my job and things are going really wrong right now and I lost control and I don't know what to do about it. No, it's just simple, naked, open honesty. I'm an alcoholic. When we approach God or when we walk through these doors, we acknowledge our brokenness. We just do. We come honestly. Yeah, I struggle with anger. It's not I struggle with anger because it's I struggle with anger. Having a hard time with lust. I don't respect my spouse. My expectations for my kids are way too high. They're absolutely unattainable, and I am out of patience. I have no patience with them. I am one of the greediest people on the planet. I think I'm so much better than everybody else. I have a problem with self-righteousness. I'm racist. I'm misogynistic. It's all of those things and a whole bunch more. When we approach God, we do it honestly. We don't hide things. We don't try to pretend like we're someone we're not. It's the first step towards healing. It's the first step towards wholeness. It's why one of our core values here at Renew Community is unconditional acceptance. When we walk through those doors, when anyone walks through those doors, I don't care if it's the 50th time, if it's the 100th time, if it's the very first time, you walk through those doors, welcome to the family. You belong here. This is a place where you will be loved. She comes openly and honestly. We don't have to be afraid. We come, we gather openly and honestly. It's the first step toward healing, toward wholeness. How else does she approach God? Well, not unlike honestly, she comes in complete and utter humility something that's sort of gone missing in this world all of a sudden. She comes in complete humility. Notice what she does immediately. Mark tells us, verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, 
a woman whose little daughter was possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, came and fell at his feet. She comes and just falls at his feet. She's even willing to accept the cultural designation of a dog, as long as it means that she will get what she needs. She's there. She literally fell on the ground at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging that she can't fix this. She comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging that she needs help, acknowledging that she needs someone else to intervene in order to fix this, in order to make things whole again. She approaches with utter humility. Our word humility is related to the word hummus, which means earth or earthly. If we're humble, we're down there on the ground where she is, near the bottom. If we're humble, we recognize that we that we've been made from the dust of the earth and the only thing giving us life and allowing our lungs to breathe and our hearts to beat is the life-giving presence of the breath, the spirit, the wind of God. Friends, we live in a world that, look, let's be honest about this. This world encourages us to just hide our weaknesses. Right? To never let them see a sweat. Right? We live in a world that, that tells us we can fix our own problems if we just try harder. Nike has built a whole company on this idea. Just do it. You can just do it. If you fall, pick yourself up, wipe yourself off. You can do it. Control your own destiny. Make it happen. We can fix it if we just work hard hard enough. If we just would try harder, we can do it. But the biblical witness says, "Uh uh-uh. No. No, that's not how it works. The biblical witness tells us that we need a Savior. Tells us that we need someone from the outside, greater than ourselves, to intervene. The biblical witness teaches us to, to let go of ourselves to just let go of ourselves. That the only way for true transformation and healing and wholeness to happen is for us to to let ourselves go and to have a direct encounter with the divine. We cannot fix ourselves. Jesus said, the last will be first. We approach God with humility. Then there's this last thing. She shows an extraordinary amount of faith. She takes this leap of faith that this Gentile woman has no business making. But she does it. And it's fantastic. It's extraordinary. She falls at the feet of Jesus, asks him to heal her daughter. And then Jesus' response is really weird. There are all sorts of different ways for us to understand it. And some scholars believe this. Some scholars think that Jesus was just playing devil's advocate here. they, They sort of believe that Jesus is setting her up to just take this leap of faith. 
to acknowledge something that Jesus already knows, but he wants to see if she'll make this leap of faith too. So he's setting her up, sort of. He says to her, first, let the children eat all they want, for it isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Again, he's making reference that he is the Messiah to the Jews over the Gentiles. And then her response is extraordinary. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. She says this, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. They get bread too. Even the dogs get the bread. See what she's doing? She's making a leap of faith here, right? She comes from a cultural background that says there are all kinds of gods, all kinds of gods. There's God for the rain, God for the sun, for the moon, for fire, for wind, God for anything. There's a God for anything you might imagine. That's her upbringing. That's her worldview. That's the world, the water in which she swims. She also knows that Jesus is a Jew, and Jews believe that there is one God over all the other gods. And so she's essentially saying this, if that's true, if your belief is true, if your way of seeing the world is true, and that there is one God and only one God, and that God really is as big and expansive as you all believe over all the other gods, then he cannot be, by logical conclusion, only the God of the Jews. He has to also be God of someone like me. He has to be God of all people. There has to be God enough to go around. There has to be enough God for people like me, even if it's just a little crumb of the divine. That's all, it, that's all any of us need, even if it's just a little. And Jesus says, you're right. Go. Your daughter is healed. God really is that big. God really is that expansive. God, God really is on the side of those who are hurting and in desperate need. God really is on the side of those who, who are at the end of their rope. God is on the side of those who have nothing left. And then he doesn't just give her a crumb. He gives her a whole meal. Her daughter is healed. When we lived in Michigan, there was this guy who was a part of our, our congregation. Uh, his, name was, his name was Tom, a young guy in his 60s who had, who had MS. Right? That meant that he couldn't control his muscles very well, and, and he had to work really hard. He could barely form any words. He had to work really hard to understand anything that he was saying. But over time, we sort of learned how to understand how he was speaking to us. And so you kind of got able to, to understand him. But that also meant that he needed to be, he needed to be taken care of uh, by professionals. So he lived in a, in a nursing home. But as is most churches' customs, when, when we had communion in church on a Sunday, we would visit those who were unable to make it. We used to call them shut-ins. And we would bring them and serve them communion. 
I remember this one time we, we went, uh, a guy named Don would come with me. He's one of the elders. We went to visit Tom on this particular day, and, and it was pretty much a normal meeting with Tom. Uh, we talked about all the things that he loved. We talked about his family. We talked about NASCAR. He loved NASCAR, so we spent a lot of time talking about NASCAR, and I was like, I don't know anything about NASCAR, but I'll listen to you talk about NASCAR. Right, so we talked about NASCAR on this day. He also talked about how somebody stole his headphones. He had to watch TV with headphones on because his roommate was not very kind. He was kind of a mean dude and would always get angry at how loud Tom would have the TV. So finally, Tom's like, fine, I'll wear headphones. But somebody stole his headphones, and he was so upset about it. Right? He was also a really funny guy, super sarcastic. When he told a joke, he thought he was the funniest dude in the world. And, uh, and uh, he, when he would laugh, he would laugh so hard that you couldn't tell if he was actually laughing because he thought he was funny, or if all of a sudden it looked like he was weeping, like he was crying, like something tragic happened. But when he told a joke, he was like, I'm the best, I'm the funniest comic in the whole world. He had this sparkle in his eye that you just couldn't deny. It was fantastic, lit up the whole room. Amazing. Well, on this particular day, toward the end of our meeting together, Don was like, well, we, we had communion together, so we thought we would come and share communion to you, which was Don's way of transitioning our time together to that. And then all of a sudden, there was like this darkness that washed over Tom's face. The, the sparkle in his eye was gone. And all of a sudden, it, you could tell that there was this, this loneliness, this sort of feeling of intense sadness that washed over him. And then he said this, leftovers. That's all I ever get. Leftovers. Everything in here is just left over from somewhere else. You could tell in that moment that he felt he felt like he was kind of like a dog in this world. And then Don, wise, old, gentle, loving Don, looks at Tom in the eye and he says, look, we can't fix this. We can't change this. But Tom... We love coming to see you. We love that you make us laugh. We love that sometimes we make you laugh. We will never miss an appointment with you because we love you. And I don't know if anything was healed in Tom that day, but it kind of felt like it. Because after Don said that, the sparkle returned to Tom's eyes and he said, well, I guess leftovers aren't all that bad. Then we had communion together. Friends, God's grace, God's healing presence, it's open and available to anyone and to everyone. And when we approach with honesty and humility, there's something about that that opens us up to, to make that leap of faith that allows us 
to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive healing and transformation. So I don't know what you're dealing with today, if anything. Just be open. Just be honest about it. Approach God with humility. And let's think about who are the dogs in this world. The ones we push aside, set aside, marginalize, the left out ones. This is the message that we bring to them too. This is the message that we that we're called to embody. This is why we're here. God's grace, God's love, God's healing, God's loving presence is available even to them. God is on their side as well as ours. Let's pray.